Yeah, okay. Thanks, guys. There was, I left like a long gap in there, so I was kind of asking for it, you know. I was waiting, yeah, yeah, cool. Thanks for that. Thanks for hyping me up. I appreciate that. All right, so here's my hot take for the night. I, uh, I don't like breakfast food that much. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> All right, I knew you guys were going to be mad. I didn't know you were going to be that mad. Okay, but listen, listen. I maybe was recently converted, okay? I had a big, I had a, I maybe just had the best breakfast of my life, okay? So I was, I was in lacrosse uh, with Jess and me. We were just hanging out for the weekend, and we went to this fancy brunch place, and we had endless Kickapoo coffee, which I don't know if any of you know what that means, but I felt very loved by a Kickapoo guys. Look it up. Anyway, uh, and I ate, I think, the single greatest breakfast slash brunch of my life, okay? So here's, here's what was going on. It was just a plate full of... Uh, Stone ground cheddar grits, okay? Which if you don't know what grits are, it's just smashed up corn, which sounds really creepy. And if you don't do it right, it is. But if you do it well, it's kind of like mashed potatoes where it's just a vehicle for like butter, salt, and cheese. And it's just delightful, okay? And so they did it right. So I've got my butter, salt, cheese vehicle. And then underneath of that, there's homemade biscuits that they toasted a little bit on the skillet. And then there was, there was homemade apple butter on it, which maybe sounds weird. And I thought it was a little weird too. I was skeptical. But yo, it was amazing. Like the little bit of sweetness, a little bit of acidity, kind of cut the fat. And then on top of that, you've got two like runny eggs. You just crack it up. It kind of like goes down over the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, you guys know. You guys know. Okay, and then, and there was like homemade breakfast sausage, which who does that? But it was amazing. And it was just salty and rich and like ridiculous. Okay. So I think I'm converted. I don't know. We'll see. I'll keep you posted. I'll keep you posted. But here's the deal. By me describing that, you, you can maybe imagine what that tastes like, right? You can compare that to like other food experiences you've had, whatever, uh, you could maybe pair it back to me the way that I just described that food, but here's the deal. You can't actually tell me what that tastes like because you haven't tasted it. And the point of food is not just to look at it and talk about it and smell it, which is why the Food Network is weird, even though I love it. Um, the point of food is to eat it and to enjoy it. Here's the deal. The point of Christianity is not just to kind of think about it to not just have this abstract kind of theoretical idea of who God is. The point of Christianity is to experience it, to delight in it, to enjoy it. Right? The Bible says to taste and see that the Lord is good. And there's some of you in this room that maybe could talk to me about theology. You maybe could describe to me the Christian worldview or Christian ideas, or maybe you could pair it back to me, the, the things that you've heard from Salt Company about what the Christian life is like, but you can't tell me what it's like to taste the presence of God, to encounter him in such a way that you're just changed on the spot because everything that you know about the world is changed when you see him and because the desires in your heart are suddenly just, just changed and you just want him. You just, you wanna go back for more. You just crave, you, you, you don't know what that's like. But I want you to know that's what Christianity is about and that's the experience that you can have with God. I, some of you, like me, you grew up around the church. It was this theoretical, theoretical thing that was no fun, and you didn't like it, and it wasn't relevant to your life. I'm telling you, Jesus is better than that. 
Like when you taste him, when you, when you experience his goodness, when you taste and see that he's good, it's like, it's like a good meal that you just, you take a bite and you just go back for more. Like you, you crave God because he's that good. That, that's the type of Christian that I wanna be. That's the type of Christian that I want us to be. The, the real thing that's experienced him. And so that's what I wanna talk about tonight is what that experience is like, what it's like to taste and enjoy delight in God and how that can radically transform everything about your life. Christianity makes some big claims on what it can do to your life. And I wanna talk about that tonight. And so we're going to 2 Corinthians. We're gonna be mostly in chapter three, but we'll also go over to chapter four. So flip there with me if you would on your phones, your Bibles or whatever. So let me read you this section, which FYI, there's kind of an analogy in here from the Old Testament. So this isn't gonna make any sense at first, but I'll explain it. Okay. 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 16. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but with one... But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Okay, there's two main themes that run throughout both of these chapters. The idea of seeing. So when it's talking about that, that veil, it's this idea of something covering your eyes. So the, the theme of seeing and then the theme of glory, which we don't really get what the term glory means. Maybe you've heard that in religious context of like give God glory, which means kind of make him famous, make him known, but that's not what it means here. What the word glory means typically throughout the Bible, is, is kind of what I was talking about at the beginning. It's this idea of experiencing the radiant beauty of God, like sitting in his presence. And so this story about Moses that Paul just referenced in 2 Corinthians is this story where Moses asked God to show him his glory, which was a bold claim, right? Because what they knew about God is to be afraid of his glory because it was so powerful, it was, it was so overwhelming that if you walked into the presence of his glory, you could just die on the spot. But, God, but Moses says to God, hey, I wanna, I wanna taste and see you. I wanna experience you. I don't wanna just see symbols about you at that time. God was like in this cloud during the day and this pillar of fire at night. Moses is like, I don't wanna see symbols. I want the real thing. I want an experience with you. And so he asked God for it and God says, okay. He doesn't give him the whole like high octane thing, but he gives him a little taste of his glory. And so Moses goes up to the mountain. He has this face-to-face conversation with God. He, he sits with God and experiences with him. And, and when he comes back down the mountain, his face is literally shining because that's what happens when you get in the glory of God is some of it rubs off on you. And so he, he comes down the mountain and his face is glowing, and the Israelites are understandably freaked out because that's not a normal thing. And so they're like, hey, Moses, we don't like this. And so he covers up his face with a veil. Okay, and so he's gonna use that idea of a veil. So veil, picture like a wedding veil, a thing that goes all the way around your face, and it covers up the glory. And so it's gonna use this idea of a veil that covers up the glory of God to explain what our condition is as human beings. Look at verse 15. When Moses is read, so that's just a fancy way of saying when the Bible's read or when the law is read. When Moses is read, a veil is over their hearts. A veil is over, so, so this is what this is saying. 
is the same way that that Moses' face was covered so that people couldn't see the glory. Every human being has a veil, has a cover over their hearts that's separating them from the beautiful presence of God. You were born with a veil over your heart, a, a, a veil of sin that's affected the way that you navigate the world. And so I want you to, to think about the implications of this, of this. Here's what that means, is that human beings are mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and morally blind. Okay, so when it's saying it's, it's covering your hearts, the, the idea is that it's, it's covering over your, your spiritual life. So think of it now kind of like a blindfold, and it's saying that we're blind to what the good life is and what's actually good in the world. Okay, so here's what that means, is your mind in and of itself is not rational, neither is mine, and it does not lead you to the truth. Science, philosophy, reason, questions are all good things that we should use, but they're not ultimate things because they're distorted by that veil. They're not reliable sources. In fact, all of us are incapable of doing moral good because we're so confused about what the good life is. And even if we did know what was good, we wouldn't actually want to do that thing. Even when you hear from Jesus the good way to live, there's nothing in your heart that actually desires to do it. So another trip that I went on recently, I went on this like spiritual retreat, which sounds fancier than it is. Um, But essentially the leaders in our church uh, just told me, hey, go somewhere, get an Airbnb and just like chill and be away from people and pray. And it was awesome. So I did. So I went to Red Wing, Minnesota and I wanted to climb a bluff. So I did. And so I just climbed around on this bluff and I got myself in a sketchy situation on the bluff. Like I climbed down the backside, got myself in some wet leaves and started sliding towards the edge, like literally caught a tree before I hit the side of the cliff. I was alone. It was a bad deal. Anyway, I'm fine. So I, so I'm walking around on this bluff, just kind of praying or whatever. And I see this sign that says no graffiti. And then like, on the sign and on the rocks underneath the sign is graffiti. And I just sat there thinking about this, which those signs are funny. Like who puts the signs up? Like in my head, I'm like, I think there's two cute little old ladies that see the graffiti and are upset that somebody's painting the rocks. And, and they're just like, you know what? These young people that are graffitiing, they just don't know what's wrong. And so we're just gonna put up a sign and then everything will be fine. And in their heads, this like teenager is gonna come up with a spray can, see the no graffiti sign and be like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for telling me I won't do it. I won't spray your rocks. No, right? Like there's a sign that says no graffiti, but nobody cares because people do what they want. Okay, this is what's true of you. Is, is that by nature, you don't care about what's good because you wanna do what you want. Same's true of me. And so, so the Bible, without God's intervention, is just a sign that says no graffiti. Hey, living a, a, a certain way, it's not good for anyone else and it's not actually good for you, but when you, when you see that in the word, there's nothing in you that wants to do it so you don't actually change the way you live. You just do what you're gonna do anyway because you can't change what you love. But luckily, God can do something about that where you can't. Look at verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Think about the significance of that. That if you want relationship with God, you can turn to him. And all of that natural corruption in your heart, all of that confusion about what's right and wrong and what's good and what's not good, what the good life is, God will remove that veil so that for the first time, you can see. 
Like the analogy is going from being blind to being able to see. Imagine what it would be like if you were blind your entire life and then all of a sudden through a miracle, you could just open your eyes. Like think about even something as simple as grass, right? Like maybe you had felt the grass and so you had an idea of what grass feels like and maybe somebody had told you that it was green but you have no concept of what green is and then you open your eyes and you see grass and it's one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen. And you look around and the world is infinitely more beautiful and complex and amazing than you ever dreamed. There's, there's things that you never could have even conceived of before because you didn't have the ability to see that now you can see. This is what Jesus is saying is that your life before God was like you were blind and he can help you to see. Where in a moment he can snap his fingers and he can remove the veil from your heart. It's what Christians call going from death to life or being born again. That in a moment you can go from being away from God to being with him and all of a sudden you can see. And the world is infinitely more beautiful and complex and amazing than you ever dreamed. And practically your life gets so much better. Imagine a blind person that now can see. There's so much freedom. They can walk. They can do things that they couldn't do before. You can do things that you couldn't do before after you have this encounter with Jesus. But he's got to remove that veil. He's got to do that thing in you, which means that you did not grow up Christian. Nobody grew up Christian. You grew up with a veil over your heart, separating you from the glory of God. And at some point, if you turn to him, he removed that veil so that you could see him. That's the first fundamental thing that we need for life with God an ability to be better, different people is we need him to remove that veil. And then once he does that, he makes some wild promises about all of the impacts that that can make in your life. Listen to one of them. Verse 18, kind of right in the middle of that verse. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So it's saying you can be transformed. Not that your life can be tweaked a little bit, not that a little bit of religion can be added in, but that you holistically can change that the future you in Christ can be categorically different than the old you, that he can erase the sins and the pains and the regrets and the hurt, and you can live a new sort of life. You can live a spiritual life, and, and look what you can be changed into the same image. Okay, what is that image? It's the image of Jesus Christ. What this is saying is that by the power of God, you can be like God, where at some point in your life, it could be hard to tell the difference between Jesus and you. The difference between the way that Jesus lived and the way that you live. And, and, and look, we might have different perspectives on Christianity, but I think pretty much all of us would agree that Jesus lived a pretty awesome life. Like, that dude knew how to live, and he lived well, and he treated people well, and he was an incredible person. Look, you can be like that by the power of God. You can be like God. Do you believe? No, I don't, I don't mean like theoretically, I don't mean theological, I mean, would you stake your life on that? Do you believe that that's true? Because I think a lot of us have tried a little bit to change and we've gotten discouraged and we've given up on the idea that you ever could be a different person, that you ever could actually change, that you ever actually could honor God with your life. And and. and Here's the thing that we're afraid of is, is taking the risk of, of taking God at his word and believing that he can radically transform everything about your life and bring you into the most beautiful eternal reality that you could imagine. We're afraid to take him up on that offer and to pray for it and to work hard for it and to dedicate our entire lives to it because we're afraid that we would put our whole self into it and that he wouldn't come through or that we would fail. 
And so we settle for mediocre lives where we spend a little bit of time with God, where we do a little bit of a Christian thing here and there, but we don't care about his glory and we're not chasing it and we don't see how amazing it is and we don't see that our entire lives should wrap around the opportunity to be with God so that he can change us forever and give us a taste of eternity. We're not willing to go there because we're afraid. Do you believe? And if you do, Do you know what that looks like to have the type of relationship with God where he can fundamentally change who you are to make you into a person more like himself? Here's the deal. I missed this for like my entire life. I I missed what it means to actually change and look more like Jesus. And I was trying so hard to change myself. I've told my story before. A lot of you guys know it. And, And here's what that led to is that my life tanked I wanted so hard to be different. I wanted so hard to be good. I wanted so hard to honor Jesus and be the best and, and do all the things that I should do. And, and my life tanked and I, I got depressed and I had some, some suicidal ideation and I felt hopeless and I didn't know how to believe God. That's where that stuff led me. And so I started taking this question of what does it mean to, to live like a Christian How do I, if God removed the blindfold, I feel like the way that I'm living is I'm just putting that blindfold back on. What does it look like to live like my eyes are actually open, like I'm actually free? I started to take that question seriously. And what I discovered changed everything about my life. And look, I'm still a screw up, but I'm not who I used to be. I have faith that I didn't have before. I have confidence when I used to be insecure. I have confidence in who I am now in Christ. Like I don't, I'm not depressed I have joy. I don't hate my life. I love my life. Jesus did that to me. Like, I'm a walking representation that this stuff works. Here is what I discovered about change. Verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Let me read that one more time. And we all with unveiled face, so with that veil removed from our hearts that was separating us from the glory, We behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. How do you change? You behold the glory of God. You stop trying to fix yourself and you fix your eyes on him. Here's why, because you become what you behold. Behold means to, to look at something and to, to enjoy it. It's, it's the thing that your mind wanders to when you're daydreaming. It's, it's the thing that your life is about, your, your passion, your thoughts, all that stuff. That's what it means to behold. And, and you will become like whatever you're beholding. And so if you spend your life trying to fix yourself, the thing that you'll be beholding is you and you'll never change because you'll just become more like you and it'll just be cyclical. And so, but if you can get your eyes up and out on Jesus Christ, you'll start to become like him. You'll get inside of his glory and that glory will rub off on you and you'll come down out of that mountain looking like him and living differently. Look, you don't drive to the Grand Canyon get to the edge of the Grand Canyon, and then just look down and stare at your feet. You look up and out, and you experience the beauty. Knowing God is like standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, and some of you are just looking at your feet. All you can do is look at you, and I'm asking you to behold him, to see him for what he is. And while you're looking, he will reorient your life. You'll come back, and your heart and your desires and how you live will be different. The inevitable effect of looking at Jesus is sinning less. Exhibit A, fall retreat. 
So if you weren't there, sucks to be you. <laughs> that's, that's rough. No, it doesn't. It doesn't suck to be you. That's not what I mean. It was just a bummer that you weren't there. It was awesome. So specifically, Saturday night, right? Like the Saturday night worship set was just, I, what, how, can, how do you explain it? You can't. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not going to try. But it was just awesome. Like we just took time to, to be with God and worship and everybody was into it and we, the music was loud and we were just feeling it and, and we just took this extended time to, to be with God. And if you weren't there, it's kind of like if you go to a concert when they start playing the song that everybody knows and everybody freaks out. It's like, yeah, like this is awesome. It's like that, only it mattered. And, um, <laughs> and uh, so like what was going on in that moment? is we were beholding the glory of God, is that God was meeting us, heaven was coming to earth, and we were sitting in his glory, and some of it was rubbing off on us as we looked at him, and you know what happened? People changed. I heard story after story of people who came to Christ on the spot. Their eternity was changed forever in a moment when Jesus met him. Everything about their life changed. That, that happened. That's going on like in this community. Can you believe that? That's nuts. And, and it's not just that those people met Jesus. All of us felt something and all of us changed. I heard stories of, of people who felt God for the first time, of people who were convicted of sin for the first time in a long time and they shared that sin and they were freed up from it. I changed. I had been feeling cold in my relationship with God and I was asking him to do something in my heart during that retreat and, and I felt closer to him ever since and I've, and I've seen some sin falling out of my life as I've just gotten to see God. When you see God, you change. Like inevitably, that's, that's what happens. When you put baking soda and vinegar together, there's a reaction. You get one of those like little science fair volcanoes. When you put human beings in the presence of God, they get transformed. It's just what happens. And I just wonder if we actually are willing to believe that's true, what could God do in our lives? Like if you're actually willing to believe that the supernatural exists and that he can supernaturally impact your lives, what would he do? What if you were willing to reorient your life around getting yourself in the presence of God? I don't mean just talking about it. I mean, what if you change the rhythms of your life forever to just see God, to sit in his glory as much as possible. Because here's what's true, is if you haven't felt that ever since, if you haven't been changing, it's not because God changed or he's different or he's gone, it's just that you stopped beholding. Come back to sitting in his glory and seeing him and let him change you. And what if you, you worked your entire life around that opportunity to see and behold him? That's a whole nother sermon that I don't have time to get into, but one of the things you, you gotta think about is how do you get rid of the hurry and busyness in your life? And look, I'm not, I know you guys got a ton on your plate. And I know sometimes it feels like it's out of your control, but I'm just saying you'll prioritize the things that matter to you and your eternity's at stake. And you just can't see and experience the glory of God if you're just running anxious from thing to thing and you never stop to just be with him. Like that spiritual retreat that I mentioned was just awesome and I, I realized I hadn't done something like that for a long time and I felt like I was just talking to God. Like, like it felt like I'd be, I'd be reading and he'd be like, hey, pray about this and so I'd pray about this and, and, and I was praying and, and I was gonna go eat and I, and I felt like he said, no, 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 don't leave me yet, just stay with me and so we just stayed, like I felt like we just had this extended conversation 
And it was awesome. And I realized I've had access to that, that this whole time. Like I always have that with him. I just don't take advantage of it because I'm unwilling to stop. What am I missing in my hurry? Here's the other thing I wanna encourage you with before we move on <clears throat> is that growth doesn't happen overnight, so don't get discouraged. Okay, this is what it says, is that we grow from one degree of glory to another. In other words, it's, it's a progressive process throughout your entire life. So your growth likely will be slow, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. You are not the authority <laughs> on whether you're changing. Jesus is the one that said that, and he said, if you've encountered him, you will change. That's just how it works. But sometimes it's slow, and so just trust him in the process. Look, on my days off, I don't grab a lawn chair, get some popcorn, sit in my front yard, and go, I'm gonna watch a tree grow. It's not fun, because you can't see trees growing. They, they grow too slow. But if I left and came back 10 years later, I would find something that's categorically different and bigger and more beautiful than what I saw before. This is what I'm saying. If you're not gonna be able to see the change in one week in your life, but if you stick with it, if you chase the glory of God for the rest of your life, in 10 years, you will be an entirely different person and it'll be worth it. Be patient and trust him. And this is what we're changing for. It's not just to try and become better people in this life, although that is true. It's that we wanna experience eternity. We wanna start living towards <clears throat> the hope that we have coming. So let's flip over to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Okay, did you catch that? <clears throat> As we look at the things that are unseen, what? How do you look at something that's unseen? <laughs> like, like what's, what's this talking about? Okay, it's saying that there, that there is something real out there called eternity. That's not just in the future, but, but there's eternal beings and eternal souls and an eternal life that's surrounding you right now and that it's real, but that we can't see it yet. But one day it will be realized. It'll become physical in front of our eyes. But right now we've got to put on the eyes of faith as a Christian to be able to see what's true, what's real, but that what hasn't become physical yet. We choose to believe what's real. Now that can be hard because it's not natural or it's not physical in front of us, but all of us intuitively know that there's really important good things that aren't physical that we can't see but are every bit as real. Love, for example. I don't know anyone who would deny that love exists, but it's not something that you can see, but you know in your guts that it's real. And this is what I'm saying is when you read the Bible, something comes alive in you and you see eternity. And so you put on your eyes of faith and you believe that that life is even better than this life and is worth living for, that it's real. Okay, so what is real in that unseen world and how does that impact your life now? Okay, look at verse six, 16. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Okay, so first off, let's take that first chunk. Our outer self is wasting away. 
So when I was in college, there was this intense guest speaker that came to Salt Company. And he walked on stage. He didn't introduce himself. He just walks up on the stage. He had a little handheld mic. And he kind of held it out like this. And he just started doing this. And if you're thinking that's weird, long, and uncomfortable, that's what I was thinking. And he's just doing this for a long time. And then in this dramatic pause, he goes like this. And he goes, every second someone dies. One of these will be you. Which was very intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like more intense at that point, so I like loved it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. What a, you know. <clears throat> okay, here's the thing. It was kind of intense, but that's actually just true. Uh, you're, you're dying. Like you, the outer you is wasted. You look as good right now as you will ever look. You feel as good as you will ever feel. I'm, I'm about, it's just true. What? I'm not hating on you. That's just, that's just fact. Okay, I'm about to turn 30. My body is dying. My shoulder just pops in and out of place at will. I don't understand it. I woke up the other day. My back hurts for no reason. I like couldn't walk. Okay, I'm wasting away. Okay, that is, <clears throat> that's the first piece of that. And, and if that's all you know, if you don't have hope for something beyond that, you will enter into the delusion of everybody else in this world and you'll live for stupid things because you'll be delusional that your death is actually coming. You'll deny it and you'll just live for things that don't matter. But here's the piece of this that's so amazing is even though your outer self is wasting away, your inner self is being renewed day by day. There's, there's a you inside of the physical you that is coming to life internally if you know Jesus. So here's what's true, is that when you were born, you started here in life, and if death was over there, you were moving towards death. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you were moving towards death, but there was this moment where Jesus encountered you, and all of a sudden, your physical body kept wasting away, but there was a more real, eternal part of you that all of a sudden turned around and started walking back towards life. And so every day, even though your physical self is dying, there's a part inside of you that's coming to life. And every time you listen to Jesus and you obey him and you take a step out in faith towards him and you live inside of his kingdom, you are coming to life, which means that if you are in Christ, your death will be the greatest day of your life because it's on that day that you'll shake off this little body that's been holding you back and you will come to life in resurrected life just like Jesus and you will be an eternal, glorious soul that if you were to walk into the back of the room, all of us would be terrified and fall on our face. That is who you are. And just because that hasn't happened yet, if you look forward into the future, I guarantee you that changes the way that you live now. Here's one of the way that it changes the, the way that you live now. Is that regardless of what happens, you don't give up. You don't give up because you know that it's worth it that following Jesus with all of the mistakes and all of the pain and all of the sin and all of the confusion and all of the doubt is worth it for that day when you will rise and see him face to face. Listen to this, verse 17. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you see that, that contrast? He's saying that suffering is light in comparison to the glory of heaven. 
that, that suffering is fading away, but the, the reality, the realness of the glory of eternity is waiting. He's saying that pain is super temporary, like a little prick on your finger, but eternal, unending, unimaginable, all-consuming joy is the reality of the universe and your reality. That's what's true. And the point of that is not to minimize pain that you're going through, but it's to maximize the glory that's coming. Listen, if you were here last week, I wanna ask you a question. How does Drake do what he did? If you weren't here, Drake shared with us that him and his wife had miscarried their first child. And he held up a little salt company onesie that he was gonna use to tell us about that pregnancy. How do you stand on a stage and talk about something that hard with hope? Here's why, because Drake knows what's real. Is that his suffering, even though it's been brutal, is light and momentary in comparison with the eternal weight of glory that one day he will rise and he will see Jesus and as he's worshiping Jesus, he will hear the words, dad, and he'll turn around and he'll see his kid and he'll embrace his child for the first time, that that's not some fairy tale, that that's real, and if that feels too good to be true, here's what you gotta think about. Think about a time in your life when you felt like everything was crumbling. Didn't God come through for you if you know Jesus? Haven't you seen him come through for you over and over again, even when it felt hopeless in the moment? Even when you feel hopeless now, God will come through. It's not true that it's too good to be true. What's true is, is that evil is too evil to be true. Evil is fading away in the goodness and glory of Jesus Christ. He's real. He's the truth. He's our hope. He's what we're living for. And it changes. It changes us now. And so we don't lose heart, verse 16. And here's what not losing heart looks like. It doesn't mean that you're always fired up and you have that perfect perspective on eternity. It means you just keep showing up. You, you just keep coming back to Christianity. You just don't give up when it gets hard. You just keep showing up. So the best finals week I ever had <clears throat> was when I took my last test on Monday afternoon. And then I stayed for the entire week and played like six hours of sand volleyball every day. And it was awesome. But the, the technical other final that I had was this final for a class on, on Wednesday. Uh, but for some reason, they had, they had three cumulative tests throughout the class, but they only took two of the grades. So you could drop one of the tests. And so I got to the end of the semester and I realized that I had an A, which meant that I don't gotta take that final. But for some reason, like he still makes you show up. And so all I had to do was show up. And so I walked into my final. So everybody else is freaking out. They're studying, they're anxious, they're nervous, they're stressed. I'm just loving my life. They probably hated me. But I walk into that final, I drew a smiley face on my Scantron. I turned it in and I love my life. This is what I'm saying. There is not a test left over your life. If you know Jesus, it's finished. Jesus took the test for you, he aced it, and now the work is done. There is no test left for you to take, so you don't gotta stress, you don't gotta be anxious, you don't gotta be afraid, you don't gotta be nervous because the results are in, all you gotta do is show up. Just keep showing up and trust Jesus and he will make you new. 
And as you don't give up, see with spiritual eyes, see with faith-filled eyes what he could do in this world and in this life through an eternal supernatural you that's trusting in him. What if in this room there were church planners? What if in this room there were doctors and nurses who would treat people who are hurting with respect and dignity? What if this room was the answer to the reconciliation that this world wants to see? What if this room could be the answer to the problems in this world? Do you believe? Can you see that with supernatural eyes? Can you see the day when salt companies from all around this city have to gather in Mariucci because this place isn't big enough for us and we fill that place up with thousands of college students worshiping Jesus as the city is transformed? Can you see with faith-filled eyes? Can you see what Jesus wants to do in this place? It's worth it. Will you commit to him? Will you give your life to being a part of that? All you gotta do is show up and trust him. Look, I've decided to follow Jesus with the rest of my life. I'm in. I'm not turning back by the grace of God. And look, I'm gonna be a screw up. I'm gonna fail. I'm gonna sin. I'm gonna let some of you down. But I'm not going back and I'm gonna give everything I can, every breath that I have to tell people about Jesus. I'm gonna spend the rest of my life saying yes to him regardless of the cost. And if that costs me everything, I'm in because he's worth it. And I'll sell everything that I have in my life to get a taste of his glory because I wanna know him in glory someday. I wanna be glorious and he is worth it. And so I'll, I'll scratch and claw to pull sin out of my life even when it's hard because he's worth it. Because I want him. I'll move anywhere, I'll do anything, I'll give up anything I'll give every ounce of energy that I have to bring his kingdom here because that life is the best life and whether it sucks or it's awesome, I wanna follow Jesus the end because I wanna see him face to face, I wanna stand with him in glory and I wanna know what it's like to hear well done, good and faithful servant and it will always be worth it. You want in? Let's pray. Jesus, we affirm that's true, that it's always worth it. And here's what I know about myself is I'm not gonna feel that tomorrow when I wake up. And I'm sorry for my lack of consistency and my lack of faithfulness. God, I'm sorry for our inconsistency as a ministry. But I love that you're consistent, that we don't have a test left to take, that you showed up, you took it for us, and now all we gotta do is keep coming back to you. And so we wanna come to you, Jesus, and I'm begging you to, to help us to to be people who see with faith what you might do in this world and what you might do for us, that, that we quit living in this, this little mediocre Christian life where we're just kind of half in, half out, because there's no such thing. When we get a real taste of you, all we can want is you, and so give us a taste of you. Help us to be people that reorient our lives around getting to experience your glory and your beauty, that, that know what it's like to behold you, and change. God, change us. Make us look more like your son. We want, we want to live like eternal people. We want to live in your kingdom. We want to know what it's like to know you. But we're weak. We're, we're struggling. We're, we're sinful. But give us faith when we don't. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Make us different, God. We want to know you. And help us to worship you, to enjoy you, to behold you in the ways that we should. Amen.